Hello all, it's recap time. Welcome old and new fans alike to this look back on Taboo Talk's award-winning series three. Here we'll relive the most hilarious, shocking, gasp-inducing and tearful moments from the pod's third series. From moving insights into postnatal depression and education into all things vulva and candid recollections of losing one's virginity to learning the true cost of sun damage, how acne isn't just skin deep and how to navigate the journey to body acceptance. This series truly pushed boundaries, broke barriers and smashed stigmas. This is also our opportunity to say a huge thank you to our listeners. We're so delighted our frank and funny chats continue to strike such a chord with all of you. And on that note, please enjoy our series three best bits. We've even included a series four taster at the end because you know what? We're nice like that. We went big for episode one of this series, deep diving into pre and postnatal depression with Louisa Zisman and Anna Williamson. This was a truly no holds barred chat covering mental health issues both during pregnancy and also after giving birth. We discussed the hows and whys, the repercussions and how to cope while also trying to look after a brand new baby. Please be aware that the full version of this episode included discussions around suicidal thoughts and self-harm, which some listeners may find upsetting. Do bear that in mind when choosing whether to listen. Here are some key moments from episode one. It's quite difficult, um, I think, to completely pinpoint someone when they are in such a free fall because yeah. everything is so interlinked. You know, anxiety and depression is very interlinked. Uh, there was a trauma. It's essentially what what I was experiencing was birth trauma. Yeah. Um, the birth itself was 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 pretty horrible um and and as a result of of trauma ptsd whatever you want to call it you know your brain does sort of shut down to an extent you know i i don't remember so much of that first year and it and it does sadden me and sometimes i found alex was um downloading a load of photos onto his laptop the other day and i suddenly saw these birth photos of enzo and the first six months i don't remember any of it and your brain blocks out trauma basically I actually surveyed when I, after I'd had Enzo, because I had this big kind of like crusade. And when I was actually writing Breaking Mum and Dad, the book on on parenting anxiety, I actually um, forumed 50 new mums. So they all had babies within a year. Um, And it was all various people I knew, uh, kind of, anonymously. Out of 50 new mums, and I asked them to be completely honest, anonymously. and And the question was, when you first saw your baby... Did you feel that Hollywood gut wrenching yeah. rush of love? Now, out of that fifty, and the, and I'd say these are a real cross section of women. Some who worked, didn't work, different, uh, all kinds of different demographics. Guess how many out of that fifty said yes? How many? Guess probably one. One. What? One. It's no. Yeah. One. What did you feel? And that's You're wonderful. So and you and you and and that is so wonderful. Honestly, yeah. Vogue, I think it's. Bloody wonderful. That's amazing. But, one. And that's just my own research out of 50 women Honestly, just one admitted you're in it. such a minority yeah. genuinely saying that. Maybe I'm just so delighted not to be pregnant. Maybe. Anymore. I mean, I hate being <laughs> yes, pregnant. Yes. Whichever way you go, that you just do what's right for you. And that's, I think that's why I'm so vocal about it. Like, I am so vocal about it. Because you know saying, someone will be in your camp. Yeah. Yeah. But mm. if you have a baby and you look at that, 
that baby and you don't feel a sudden rush of love that the movies tell you to feel completely normal absolutely completely normal you might not love that baby until it's three six nine twelve months old and every day that you spend with that child your love will grow for it but if you don't feel that love immediately it's completely normal For me, the best feeling in the world, I remember standing outside this hotel, it was like 9.30 at night, I'd been gone since maybe six, so not long, and for the first time, truly... Yeah, you would have. No, but, for, <laughs> but, no, but this what was Sorry. so nice for me, is, but for, but for the first time ever in that whole postpartum period, I couldn't wait to get home to see the baby. Oh, and it was the nice. first time that I went... That bond's kicking in. That oxytocin yeah. that everyone wangs on about is kicking in. And I, I remember thinking, and the cab was lost. And I remember thinking, get, and I got a bit sort of like antsy, like, I want to go home to my baby now. Yeah. I want to go home to my baby. Because I sort of had this moment of, oh, I've got Anna back. Yeah. Yes, I've earned a bit of money as well. Brilliant. And I couldn't wait. And I remember I got in that door and it was the first time I literally ran in, picked him up Aww. and genuinely went, oh, God, Aww. I love you. And for me, and that's why I say for me, having the identity of being able to do my job, has always made me a better mum. Is it possible to get our son fixed safely? That was the question episode two set out to answer, separating fact from fiction when it comes to sun damage. I was joined by Deborah Meaden, who was diagnosed with skin cancer in 2015, as well as skin expert Deja Iodeli. I think every listener will have learned something from this episode, whatever their age, gender, ethnicity or fondness. Perhaps here are some of the best bits. I feel like though, Deborah, you were quite good at all those things and then you still managed to get what you got. Is it, could it be a, a hereditary thing as well or is it just simply the sun? I mean, I don't know. I, I, you know I'd like to know the answer to that myself. I, I, I mean, I am fair-skinned, um, mm. so obviously I'm going to be more prone to it. I mm-hmm. suspect that my eyes, which are also light blue, you know, I've always worn sunglasses because I've always thought, well, actually, I'm very sensitive to the sun. Um, uh, and I'm lucky. I've never really, I've never been a sunbather. So I yeah. think, you know, it was just naturally the way that I was living, you know, and if I was going, if I was horse riding, I was always going to wear long if for flies and things I'd wear long mm. sleeves so mm. there's a lot of things that kind of naturally happened because of the way that I live but I think my biggest mistake was thinking that I was protected once I'd applied one lot of sunscreen and mm-hmm. then I'd forget mm-hmm. the time and I'd be out there and I think oh that's fine I've got a factor 50 on and it'll all be you know and then spending eight hours in the sun and you know forgetting about the fact that at the end of that I probably got no protection whatsoever yeah. so I think yeah. that was my biggest you know yeah. my biggest risk. I was filming Dragon's Den and I don't get spots and uh, my makeup artist had noticed a tiny little, what looked like a white head, had been yeah. on my face for probably about six weeks and she kept saying, that's not right Deborah." When I say I was lucky we caught it incredibly early and I think that's one of the things I, you know, I'm evangelical now about saying to people, if you've got a little odd pimple that won't go, don't just think it's a pimple because I've always looked for moles, you know, I know all the rules about moles but I've never looked for something that actually looked like a whitehead you know and and I would never have known if it wasn't for Sue thank goodness saying that's not right Deborah you don't get spots it's been there for six weeks you ought to get it checked out I you know it could have gone too far 
so we're not just looking out for skin cancer. I have to say that one of my main reasons I do have that skincare routine is for aging because sun, uh, sun damage can be super, super aging, but it can also cause pigmentation and, and, and loads yeah. of different things. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are what are the consequences of that? So the consequences are just cancer, possibly getting cancer. Yeah, you... possibly getting cancer. Um, but for, for the vast majority of us, me included, it's mainly, it's mainly for vanity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, yes, um, you, you can obviously get sunburn is horrible. It, it, it does also create pigmentation on the skin. But also um, the sun breaks down collagen. UVA rays will break down collagen in the skin. Collagen is what gives us the nice plump bounciness to our skin. Collagen and elastin. So once those are broken down, that's when you get fine lines and wrinkles. So again, the sun will break that down. So and fine lines and wrinkles for us, and especially in the Western world, those are markers of aged skin. Um, also the pigmentation and it creates a very mottled type of skin as well. And everyone wants a nice, even tone to their skin. Sun, the sun also creates, a, the skin feels leathery and dry and, and not soft to touch. So those are some of the ways in which the sun affects the skin aesthetically. Um, and, and those are visible. But again, they're visible the later on you are in life. My main message is always just make it part of your skincare. Just as you apply your moisturizer, um, let your sunscreen be the last step in your skincare because the, the, the UVA rays can also, you know, come through glass. They can come through clouds, even on cloudy days. So even when you think, oh, it's winter, it's cold outside. So long as you see daylight, there will always be UVA rays around you. So it's important to, to remember that and just make it a normal part of your skincare. I think you know, in the UK, um, it's, it's always been a case of, you know, when you're going on holiday that you, it's almost even seasonal. You start seeing sunscreen adverts sort of around May, June time, and then it sort of dies off. And, and so it's not playing for you constantly. So you think it's, oh, when I'm going on holiday, I buy my two bottles and, and that's it for the year. And, but I do think the narrative is changing that we are getting more used to using sunscreen all year round. Spencer's going to come and say hi now. There's just nothing I can do. Sorry. That's your pals, Minnie. Deborah. Debs! <laughs> hi, mate. You call, did you just call me Debs? I, get, I can't believe you just called me Debs. <laughs> Are you going to come and invest in my business or what? Series I, B? No, you just called me Debs. I That's cannot enough. believe you just <laughs> called me Debs. Hi, DJ. <laughs> but you, if you recall, you gave me permission to call you Debs last time we spoke. Um, yeah, you said that well, I that could, was, that but was, nobody yeah, else. Yeah, but that was a one-off. That was a one. That was not forever. <laughs> okay. Well, I love you very much, and I'll see you soon. <laughs> About ninety-five percent of people in England will be affected by acne at some point in their lives, and yet it's still considered a taboo topic by many, which obviously made it the perfect subject for the third episode of series three. I was joined by Scott McGlynn and Izzy Rogers to explore their own experiences of acne, including how they manage it, feel about it, and why they think it's so important to talk about it. The episode was called Why Acne is More Than Skin Deep, and listeners should be aware that the full version included discussions around mental health issues, including anxiety, depression, and self-harm. Here are some key moments from the episode. It came to a stage when, it, like, you know, that flare-up? Yeah. And when you wash your face... It was really sensitive and dry to touch. Mm -hmm. And that was it. And you can never pick. I I used to pick them when I was younger. I would never pick a spot now, ever. Would you not? Never. 
Do you know what I used to do? I used to literally research um, the lighting before I went to a restaurant because if it was a lighting of above, like right now, I would have been so paranoid to come because the lighting's so above that it would. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like By light, yeah, shadowy. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, I would yeah. literally sit. So if there was like above lighting, I'd literally avoid it in a restaurant. I'd pre look at the pictures of the restaurant, see whether that's yeah. where I wanted to go. Like that's how like crazy it makes you. When I started seeing my boyfriend of now, I used to literally set my alarm like four in the morning and I'd creep no. out of my bed, put my concealer on and like lay next to him and be like, morning. Oh, no. Yeah, like when I look back at it now, I'm like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? That's so sad. Like, why were you doing that? But like, that's how much it like gets into your head. And like, I was doing that in front of someone that I essentially loved. For me, it's just to learn to accept yourself and love yourself because I think so, we dwell on it so much that that's when it affects your mental health and you get depressed and you get so low yeah. and then even though maybe no one's looking at you you feel like all eyes are on you because yeah. you're so like it's, it's there right yeah you're just paranoid but that's that's the only thing you know and I think now it's so many incredible people online like yourself and I've met so many people on Instagram using it acne as a positivity yeah. I can't, and they only share that, and that's what I love. Next up, we had a special bonus episode on skincare inspired by the huge response to our acne app. The expert Q&A session was helmed by Dr. Afima Ejikemi, who is founder and director of the Adonia Medical Clinic in London. Dr. Ejikemi answered questions sent in by Taboo Talk listeners on everything from redness, rosacea and red veins to blackheads, pores, age spots and dark circles. Here are some of the top things we learned. Everybody has a skin issue. It could be spots, it could be redness, it could be dark marks, it could be fine lines. Whatever your key issue is, you need to have just one step in your routine that really addresses it. So let's say your issue is spots or fine lines. For spots, that might be a salicylic acid serum. If it's fine lines, that might be a retinol serum or cream. If it's redness, maybe azelaic acid. So that's it, one one ingredient. And so that can be as a serum, that can be in your moisturizer. I am not a fan of myself, of a facial that is kind of, I feel the hands moving. Yeah. I need to see an endpoint. I need to see glowing skin. I need to see refined I want tones. pain. <laughs> yes. I want pain in my facial. It's the same as a massage. I'm not going in to be petted. I want to know that like something good is happening. Zalic acid is absolutely amazing at 10% at reducing background redness. It's even helpful in conditions like rosacea as well. And it takes out the redness from the skin. It takes about six to 12 weeks to start working, but most people notice about five to 10% reduction in the redness in their skin. I love that you're just giving everyone, we've all got hope. <laughs> what else can you fix? <laughs> Let's clear something up once and for all. Now, I never, no matter how late a night I have out or how many drinks I've had, I will never go to sleep with my makeup on. Is it okay to fall asleep with your makeup on? No, it's not. It's not. And you yeah. are doing the exactly the right thing. I'm the same. Even if it's 2am, I will wake up. Your night cannot finish until you've washed it off. Body acceptance and the journey to self-love was the subject of episode four, for which I was joined by model and body acceptance advocate Iskra Lawrence. 
Iskra candidly revealed her own struggles with self-image and talked about how she is channeling her experiences into helping others. Listeners should be aware that this episode touched upon body shaming, eating disorders and body dysmorphia. As with all of the episodes covered in this recap, we have provided information on support services in the show notes. Here are some key moments from episode four. I think one of the best ways to figure out if you're being unkind to yourself is, would I say this to my best friend? I doubt it. So don't say it to yourself. That's like an, I feel like an easy gauge of like, oh, is what I'm saying to myself not very nice? Would I say that to my best friend or someone that I love? No. Okay, I'm not going to say it to myself. And I would do that in front of a mirror. I'm a big, big advocate for giving yourself eye contact. I don't think we often do it. And it's one of the best ways to actually connect and really, truly see how you're feeling. One hundred percent. Photoshopping for me is just as detrimental as the issues with size inclusion, because as a model, I would get photos back, and I did actually do a photo shoot for a magazine once, and I said to my friends and family, I was like, "Oh, it's going to be, you know, available different places. Like, go and get your copy," and they would literally, be, "Oh, well, we had a look today, but we couldn't couldn't see you in it. We couldn't find you in it. it must be in a different." Stop. And I was like, "No, that's actually me." And I was so heavily photoshopped, my own family literally didn't even recognize me. And I looked at the images and the problem is for a long time, I thought, wow, look at the, look at me with the finished product being photoshopped. Mm. Cannot help but think, well, someone's decided to do that. Someone has sat down on a computer and believed that I'm more beautiful now post photoshop. Like that's what I need to try and look like. I've had a few really upsetting conversations with young people. Um, There was one girl and she was 13 and she said to me, my best friend photoshops and uses filters online um, and we all know it. So a couple of people brought it up at school and she like blocked everyone at school and literally doesn't even want to go to school, like is embarrassed about her real life. She would rather have a fake life online where she's filtered and photoshopped with random strangers that she thinks are her friends online that are applauding her for the way she looks and the things she posts. And that just broke my heart because I, I hope that, you know, she has the community to be able to let her know that her value is not based on social media likes, the amount of followers, her photoshopped images, but it's really, really hard for young people to navigate that. And like I said, I struggle to navigate it comparing like the fashion industry to my real life. You know, I wanted to be a successful model and I was comparing myself to those, but social media is 24 seven. There is literally no, for, for young people, it feels like you can look at it every single second of the day and be comparing yourself, not just the way you look, the amount of likes you get, the amount of friends you have on, on social media and even your lifestyle. Oh, that person gets to go on these beautiful, exotic vacations and I'm stuck here in Skegness or, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's just, there's this comparison on so many different levels. And one of the major ones that's detrimental to your mental health is, and as a content creator, I know this because I've experienced experienced it is you're not only comparing yourself to other people you're comparing yourself to your last post 
How often do we all discuss vulvas and vaginas? Answer, not nearly enough. A Problem Episode 5 went a long way to rectifying. Anna Richardson and Dr. Don Harper joined me for a truly taboo-busting chat about which bits of our privates do, what and why. What they're called, what they should look like and how best to look after them. This was a gloriously funny and insightful episode and also pretty shocking actually when it became obvious how little we're all taught a standard about basic biology. Here are some of the top moments from episode 5, The Vulva Bible. But there's loads of words I don't like. Like they've written down words for here, me to say here and I'm like, I'm not saying that word. Because I think <laughs> everyone has their word for their, I call it either a vagine or a vajayjay or a fanula. I know all about my vulva vogue. I know all about yours. I know all about, I know all about everybody's Well, you are the vulva queen, in fairness. You've seen more than anyone in the world. I want that on my gravestone. I am the vulva queen. Um, Yes, I do because, uh, well, A, just because I went to an all-girls boarding school and, you know, we were all about each other's vulvas and talking about our bits and bobs. But also because um, years ago I used to do a show for Channel 4 called The Sex Education Show. Um, and where we went around secondary schools teaching kids about sex and relationships. Yeah. And we had live naked models, even back then. We're talking about sort of, you know, at least 10 years ago. So, yes, we were, we, it was drilled into us about, it is not a vagina, it's a vulva. So, yes, I'm very comfortable with mine. Thank you. I've had a couple of friends who actually wanted to get um, surgery on their own. How common is that? Far too common. And and what we need to remember is actually um, I had a, a, a nurse patient who had gone off and, and had what turned out to be a too drastic labelplasty, and she was beside herself because every time she went for a wee, her urine just splayed everywhere because our inner lips oh, are designed wow. to channel your urine. Because if I went out into the high street or Anna into the high street uh, today and asked the first hundred people that I met, men and women, what is thrush, I reckon I'd get a nigh on 100% hit rate. If I asked them what is bacterial vaginosis, which is more common than thrush, only the women or their partners who suffered would know what it is. Um, It's very, very, it's just been so much less well discussed, talked about in the press, in, in, in conversation. Uh, and I see so many women who are self-treating thrush um, when actually they've got BV. Um, and sadly, women with BV, around about 30% of them have recurrent problems. So, you know, if that's you and, you, and you're not, you don't know what it is and you've not sought help and you've not had a diagnosis, then, you know, the chances are you're in a pretty bad way. Tell us, tell us what bacterial vaginosis is. Okay, so so thrush is a, um, a fungal infection. Okay, mm-hmm. bacterial vaginosis is an overgrowth of natural bacteria. So I've already mentioned that our vaginas are teeming with good bacteria that keep everything everything healthy. Going back to we were discussing that our vaginas are slightly acidic. Anything that makes your vagina slightly alkaline, and interestingly, that would be perfumed products, semen. Um, and menstrual blood. Uh, wow. So any of those things can change the pH of your vagina, and that can mean that you get an imbalance, so you get an overgrowth of certain bacteria, and that will cause 
symptoms that are often assumed to be thrush, but the, probably the really um, the key point for bacterial vaginosis is it often gives a quite a fishy odour, and that makes people feel really filthy. They're women really worry that anybody even standing next to them in a bus queue, for example, might be able to smell them. And of course, what would you do if you think you smell? Over you would probably wash. wash. Yeah. And the more you wash, the worse the imbalance of pH and the bacteria is. Anna, you've probably seen more bits than anyone because you've been um, doing naked attraction for years, which I'm fascinated by. Like, were you always just so like normal about it? People just standing there, you're looking at all their bits. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of feel, you know, like Dawn probably, sort of a sort of honorary you know, doctor in a way. I, I don't yeah. care. We, we've we've all seen it all before. It's a body. We're normal. And what I love about Naked Attraction is that when it was first pitched to me, I was kind of like, are you actually out of your minds with this? I can't believe you got get so many people to do it though. Well, no, we, we can't stop them coming on. But the, the, the point with, with Naked is that when we first talked about it, once we'd interrogated the format and realised that this is not a titillating show, there's nothing sexy about Naked Attraction. No. And once we'd sort of highlighted the fact that actually this is about acceptance and normalisation and it's about identity, then then I knew that I could justify doing it and I could justify it in the press and I knew that it would be a runaway success, hence we've been on air for the last five, six years. So, yeah, yeah it's not a sexy show. It's 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 funny, but it's about normalising the body. So, yeah, I I couldn't care less about seeing people's bits and bobs. Episode 6 was all about losing your virginity, a momentous moment in anyone's life. Comedians Russell Kane and Desiree Birch joined me to discuss their first times and what they wish they'd known. We all wept with laughter at points during this and also somehow, amidst the madness, managed to cover important things about contraception, the influence of porn, establishing boundaries, being a virgin dominatrix, yes, really, and whether it's ever possible for someone's first time to be a great experience. It was a truly eventful ride. See what I did there? Here are some of the best bits from episode six. Yours was obviously so planned. So then with her, a month later, did you like plan a really nice... Uh, it was I wouldn't say it was as planned as that. It was just, we. it was instant love from the first, like teenage, 16, that type <laughs> yeah. of love that's unpleasant. Like you, you feel yeah. like you're getting a virus, like, <laughs> like you feels like it could kill you, like something dangerous is happening to you. It's yeah. scary the first time you fall in love if you're, if you're very young because you just can't handle it. Yeah. You know, even just, she was in one town. It's only an hour away, but it might as well have been another universe. In the week, I felt like I was having nails put through my hands waiting to see her. But thank God for porn. Because the reality is, without <laughs> pornography... It says only men. <laughs> no, but, that, but thank God. And the girls should be thankful too, because for that type of porn, when it was not saturated. When it did involve choking. I think a lot of young women have um, sort of sexual experimentation with girls that they don't necessarily think counts, yeah. you know, where it's yeah. kind of like all kinds of like, oh, we're all like sort of making out or we're like touching each other at a slumber yeah. party. You're like yeah. different things that are all sort of um, safer ways to experiment with that kind of stuff when you're friends with somebody. And so um, it didn't strike me as particularly odd. I was just kind of like, oh, 
cool. Like this thing that I've sort of done before is actually going a lot further. Um, so it was hilarious because I was living with a friend at the time. Like I, you know, you go to Yale, you graduate with rich friends, which is great because you can't afford to do a damn thing. So I was staying with like, you know, a rich friend of mine. And I went back to her loft and fortunately she had a boyfriend and wasn't there. So I was in this huge Chelsea loft alone with this super <laughs> cute girl who was into me. And I was like, this is really awesome, you know? And that's the great thing is because I lost my virginity with a guy a year later yeah. and you don't realize when you're going like, oh, like it was fun, but it technically doesn't count because, you know, especially in society before we define sex around, yeah. is there a man yeah. involved and it's all centered around him and then it's sex if that happened, yeah. right? You don't hear boys say this very often. I, I don't think I was ready. I wasn't pursuing it. I wasn't trying to get laid and being rebuffed. studies. Yeah. It wasn't even that. I just, I was very... I don't know. I like my I computer games and and yeah. and Dungeons and Dragons that I was playing in secret, obviously, because I wanted to <laughs> to live. Uh, and I like being friends with the girls, like making them laugh. I think there's one occasion where I I tried to snog one of the popular girls who was my friend because I because we'd been experimenting with alcohol. Yeah. But other than that, I've got no memory of going. Oh, if only I could lose my virginity. I just knew that that's what the popular kids did. Yeah. I'll never have that. Like a, I'll never be a royal. I'll never be a prince or a king. And I just accepted it. Series 3 finished in style with a brilliant bonus episode. To celebrate October being Menopause Awareness Month, we hosted a one-off special featuring three incredible guests. Shaparak Shapi Corsandi, Sally Phillips and Andrea McLean. These three awe-inspiring and hilarious women were totally open about their personal experiences of perimenopause and menopause and you can enjoy some of our favourite moments from the episode here. So, Shavi, when did you first notice symptoms? Um, You know what? Just this second, halfway through your question, (laughs) an idea went out of my head. What our bodies do is amazing, but also can be debilitating. And it's so important to have this awareness that we have, like the woman that you saw losing it with her kids and all of this, that that's not that person's personality. That, I mean, mm. it might be. Yeah, some people are awful. Some people are awful. awful. But what I found lately... I am. <laughs> awful. You are an endless This is pre-menopause. <laughs> Horrible. Vile. But your honesty is refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, right, OK, I'm a writer. I'm journaling all of this. So I went to my NHS doctor and just said will you write the medical side of this for me? Because actually there's clearly a lot of women out there who need some answers. I can't give it to them. I can give them a personal account. And um, that was how the idea for the book came about. Interestingly, like I say, times are really different. I mentioned it to my agent at the time and he said, absolutely not. That's the worst idea. It's career suicide. You'll never work again because no one wants to be associated with a menopausal woman because it makes you sound like you're old and past it. So I bought these ovulation uh, sticks available at Boots and um, discovered I just simply wasn't ovulating. Like I was at no stage. I was constantly pissing on things. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. (laughs) What's going on? Like no sign sign of life. (laughs) (laughs) Even though the symptoms are pretty bad, what has come out of it that has been positive for for all of you? My immense wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) I, I got that as soon as you walked into the room. 
And that was that for Series 3. We hope you enjoyed discovering or rediscovering some of the top moments from this award-winning series. And yes, I have now said award-winning three times, but I think it bears repeating. It does. The success is down to you, our listeners, so thank you again for your continued support. If you have found yourself affected by anything that you've heard, there is a list of resources in this episode's show notes. Also, please watch out for Series 4, which is coming soon. I'll be asking some amazing new guests all kinds of taboo health and wellness questions so you don't have to, because that's what we're here for. Here's a sneak preview of what you can expect. But then it really started to get to me because I did feel like a bit of a joke, you know, Mm. and I could realise that I wasn't hearing properly and the only reason I wasn't doing something about it was vanity. You can't tell Nikki babies what to do. They're the the strongest type of baby you'll ever meet. I can't believe I've done this. (laughs) I had to do basically a on his bathroom floor. (laughs) On a thing, (laughs) on like on a... Like a... I I think I used a sandwich bag, actually. I remember going to the toilet at school and being petrified to poo. Or if you were away too long, the boys would be like, what were you doing a poo? And how come you decided to specialise in what you do? I want to be good at sex. I want to be good at sex. I want to be good at sex. Let's all be good at sex. (laughs) Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to Boots Presents Taboo Talk on your preferred podcast platform. It really does help spread the word. Thanks again and speak to you soon.